Well, welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I am Jamie Plunkett. I am Melissa Treeplosser. And we're here after a TCU win? Question mark? I mean, it was a win. 34 to 32 over Cal. Felt like there were some not winning situations there mm-hmm. uh, throughout mm-hmm. this game. We're going to get into all of those on this episode. We're going to talk a little bit about Big 12 expansion and a rumor started by, not started by, but perpetuated by Mac Engel uh, late last week, early this week about TCU's almost invite to the Pac-12. We're going to talk a little bit about the rest of the Big 12 pick some games and then we'll get out of your way tcu does not have a game this week it is an early bye week we're going to talk a little bit about that as well again again it feels like every year tcu kind of gets screwed in the in the bye week department yeah Um, yeah but you know same the old story is the same as the new story right time is a flat circle melissa indeed is a flat circle but let's jump right in tcu beat cal 34 to 32 on saturday afternoon uh, in a game that was much closer than either of us thought it would be, much closer than most TCU fans, I think, thought it would be, um, with Cal doing pretty much what they wanted to through the air, especially in the first half, uh, targeting C.J. Caesar, some of the young safeties, uh, and even uh, Trey Hodges-Tomlinson got beaten a couple times deep. Um, Melissa, when you see a game like this against a Cal offense that is not known for being a good passing team, how much does that concern you as we move into Big 12, move into the SMU game and then into Big 12 play? Oh, I think if you're a TC fan and you're not concerned by what you saw on Saturday, then I will have whatever you are having because um, it's probably making you feel pretty good overall. Um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely um, give credit to Justin Wilcox for identifying the weakness in the TCU defense and being exploiting it and to Chase Carbers and company for being able to execute the game plan. Um, I mean, that's the thing is when you compare what Garbers was doing through the air on the deep ball versus what Duggan was doing through the air on the deep ball, the difference was one of those guys was connecting with his wide receivers and the other one wasn't. Um, if you if you switch those two performances, then we're probably covering the spread and having a score more like what you and I expected going into it. Um, but when it comes back down to it, um, there no – well, there's one guy that could be added to the fold here, but you are who you are. Um, heading into the fourth week of the season and your third game of the season. And so either those guys are going to have to develop and get better or something is going to have to change. And um, we know who Trey Tomlinson is. We know what he's capable of. They got great uh, matchups. You know, if he's battling a six foot five, 200 and something pound dude, he's going to lose those occasionally. Um, But he made plays down the stretch when he needed to. Um, But as far as is the safeties, I expected better play from them and, I mean, God, I feel like all we do now is just rip on poor CJ Caesar. Um, and and I don't think that it's unfair to be critical of his play, but like, man, I, I think what Colin said in the three up, three down was right. That that poor guy has a family and, and Patterson's doing him no favors by letting opposing offenses just exploit him time and time again in the passing game. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying there and, and yeah, CJ has has come under fire recently. He's He's the pretty easy, I guess, Mm -hmm. scapegoat in this entire Mm -hmm. situation. Um, But I think one of the things that we also have to remember is that TCU is trying to replace two NFL safeties uh, in Trey Merrig and Ardarius Washington. Uh, And, you know, you had Bud Clark who made a couple mistakes uh, on Saturday afternoon. You had um, LVZ who is not a coverage safety and he's our only returning safety. He had some good plays up near the line, but... Uh, you know, when you're two when you're two safeties that you're trying to replace uh, are NFL caliber safeties, um, and you're replacing them with sophomores, uh, there are going to be some growing pains early on as well. And Patterson mentioned after the California game that there were a couple. He said he counted three instances where guys were open deep, um, and it was a safety that was essentially responsible for getting over there and getting into coverage. One was on uh, a po- like an out like a, I don't even know what it's called, but it's like an out route from the seam um, that scored a touchdown for Cal that was on Bud Clark not getting over in time, not recognizing the the play in time. Um, yes, but there were also a couple times where he said CJ just got caught looking in the backfield. Uh, and if you're CJ Caesar and you're in year two of making significant starts, that's got to stop happening sometime soon. Um, 
It'll be interesting though because Patterson after this game was in a in a very odd kind of upbeat mood. He was very pleased about Zach Evans' performance, which we'll talk about in a second. He thinks that uh, Duggan's deep ball will get a lot better, and he made some comments on on why they continue to throw it deep um, in regard to uh, stretching a defense out. And he also really has confidence in these safeties and in this secondary. Uh, he he said, you know, a lot of this is growing pains. We're replacing three starters on this defense. We're replacing. Uh, really incredible talent, and they're going to grow, and they're going to continue to improve. They're going to continue to learn. He came in, and he said, you know, I've been telling them for two weeks that there's, there was going to be a game like this if they didn't figure some stuff out, and now they've had a game like this. Fortunately, it came when we still got a win, uh, and now it's time to make some of the adjustments we've been needing to make and move forward. I think in that well, way, the bye week might be coming at a really good time. Well, and I was going to say, I think the best thing as a coach, especially a coach like Gary Patterson, that you can do is have a lot of mistakes on tape in a game that you won. Mm -hmm. And so these were things that if Cal hadn't exploited them, SMU certainly would have. And SMU, frankly, is just more talented on the offensive side of the ball. And so if SMU is exploiting you, you probably don't get the W. So to be able to say, hey, I told you so. This is what's happening. Now, look, you guys, we almost lost this game because you guys made the mistakes I've been harping on you about for six weeks. With that bye week, um, you have a chance to really correct those mistakes and, and, and look at stuff on film and see what's going on. Now it's up to the players to to adapt and adjust and mm-hmm. to follow through and to execute. Um, and, and maybe that is. I mean, Cal returned a bunch of guys from last year's team. They have a bunch of super seniors um, because they only played four games last year, five games. So um, I think that that's a veteran team, knowing how to exploit a not a veteran team, and it's up to TC players to mature. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and before we get off the secondary two, um, which, you know, we, we can see those mistakes. I think you and I have both watched enough TCU football over the last couple of decades to know that when the pass rush isn't there, those corners end up looking really, really bad. And the pass rush has been non-existent the first yeah. two games of the season. And that has left those guys on an island for far longer than they should have to be. You're absolutely right. You know, if you're not getting pressure on quarterbacks in this defense, then your your corners are, are having to defend a receiver for seven, eight, nine seconds. And that's just impossible to do, um, especially against another Power 5 team. Um, even against a team like Duquesne, who had a couple of deep passes in week one. And we saw that, Duquesne might not actually be that bad of a team because they reared up and beat Ohio this past Saturday, which was really cool to see. Um, But kind of using that as a transition and moving, let's go ahead and move on to the, into the trenches here and talk a little bit about the offensive line and the defensive line, starting with that lack of pressure. TCU had three sacks on Saturday against Cal, but only one came from a defensive lineman. One was from D. Winters, and I believe C.J. Caesar had the other one. Or no, it was Kendrick Van Zandt was, had the other yeah, one. Yeah, it was LBD, um, yeah. And so, you know, you're getting pressure when you're blitzing. But beyond that, TCU's defensive line in the first two games has two sacks against opponents that you should probably be getting to the quarterback more. Uh, how much does that concern you um, coming into uh, you know the SMU game and the Texas game when getting pressure on the quarterback is going to be essential to throwing those offenses off? Oh, just an abs- just a huge amount. Um, you, you look at the names on this line, you look at the depth, I and mean, we've been talking about this for, really since the last three games of last year of, man, this defensive line is going to be probably the linchpin of the defense next year. This is a group that we has no excuse to not be getting to the quarterback on a regular basis. Um, you've got O'Shawn Mathis, who is, you know, a potential all-conference level talent. You've got, um, you know, Terrell Cooper and Corey Bethley coming back. And Cooper's first game was last week, so we'll give him a little bit of a pass. But you go out and you get Kenny Turnier. You've got Earl Barquette, who was a four-star recruit. Um, you've got uh, J- Dylan Horton, who just looks like the most intimidating human being on the face of the planet. Um, and they're doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't think that, that we're seeing a lot of double teams or anything, but this this pulls me back again into leading up to that that Texas Tech game when Kari Coleman really started to assert himself, and all of a sudden O'Shawn Mathis looked like a world beater. Um, O'Shawn Mathis should not need Coleman opposite him to be an elite talent and an elite pressure pressurer of the quarterback but it looks like that's kind of the the secret sauce and so if Coleman comes back for SMU which I've heard that he is and I've heard that he isn't um then then maybe that opens things up but you if you're that deep and have that many guys stacked up that are that good you can't be pinning all of your hopes and dreams on one player like that's inexcusable to me yeah and I need to go back and I need to rewatch the Cal game to see how frequently TCU went with three linemen versus four 
because mm-hmm. Patterson mentioned again in his press conference, and he said it a couple times uh, in fall camp as well, that he's really wanting to get pressure with three so that he can have eight in coverage. Uh, I think that's in preparation for some of these offenses that we're going to sure. see in the Big 12. But the, the reality is, is that if he's getting three, if he's not getting pressure with three linemen, then he's got to get, he's got to figure something else out. Yeah. You're not going to be able to drop eight back. And if you're only playing three linemen, and you're missing Kahari Coleman, well, that tells the offensive line, okay, we need to focus on O'Shawn Mathis. Um, we need to double him. We need to push him out of the way. We need to get him out of the play completely. And then you've only got two more linemen that are trying to work um, to get to the quarterback against four offensive linemen. It's, it's a double team across the board. And so it's not, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense, in my opinion, for the Frogs to continue to go with three, off, three down linemen dropping it into coverage if you're still asking your corners to do so much man-to-man um you got to get pressure on the quarterback that's how this defense thrives it's how we saw it thriving in the 2014-2015 seasons when you had guys Mm -hmm. getting to the quarterback all the time in the Rose Bowl era with Jerry Hughes absolutely savaging people um the sack numbers were up and up and up and like you said Melissa when Kari Coleman was starting to fire on all cylinders last year that impacted everything across that line um and so hopefully he's back for the SMU game. I was, I'm, I'm now that we've both talked about this a couple times and talked to other people about this too. I'm like 50, 50 on whether I think he'll actually be back for the SMU game. I was pretty confident before yesterday that that was going to be the case, but now I'm not so sure. Um, but if we don't get him back soon, we got to figure something else out. Like Dylan, we've been hearing a lot about Dylan Horton about how good he is. Um, he hasn't had a sack yet. I don't know how much pressure he's gotten on a quarterback yet against two offensive lines that he should probably be able to do that mm-hmm. against. So from a defensive line perspective, it has been a disappointing start to 2021 just from a pressure standpoint. Hopefully they figure that out. Hopefully that gets righted when Kahari Coleman comes back and, you know, things start to start to move up from there. But until that happens, we're probably going to still see some of these same issues in the secondary that we've been seeing, especially if Noah Daniels isn't coming back anytime soon now we we still don't really know what's going on with him we've asked you know and i see in our comments almost every day on the site someone needs to be asking every single day about noah daniels why aren't you guys asking about noah daniels who's asking about no someone needs to figure this out this isn't for lack of trying i'm just gonna say that uh when when you come upon situations like this with tcu they're very good at locking information down if they really want to now we've heard rumors i'm sure some other people listening to this have heard rumors too i'm not gonna speak on those rumors in this platform or on the website just because that's totally irresponsible we're still talking about a 21 year old kid um and i'm not gonna do that but i have confidence that he's gonna be back at some point this season Hopefully it's by SMU, which Patterson said after the Cal game, he's tracking to start for SMU. We'll see. He's still two weeks away. He's been posting on his Instagram story uh, in cleats and a helmet like he's been practicing. So hopefully things are starting to move in the here's, right direction for Noah Here's Daniels. my concern yeah. leading up to this. It's not whether or not Noah Daniels plays. It's worst case scenario, Noah Daniels comes back mm-hmm. and plays poorly. Yeah. Because well, I mean, TCU be- fans are so already like invested in this whole drama that it, as it may be sure. um and, and that's the thing is y'all can't just expect that noah comes back and all the problems get solved so we said this is this is really a three le- levels of the defense issue mm-hmm. um if he comes back and smu puts 40 points on the board it's not gonna be no daniel's fault you know right. um so I, I think that that what you need to see is that complete unit playing as a complete unit and and just trusting Patterson, the elite defensive coach that he is, that he'll get it together in time. Um, that probably means there's going to be a loss along the way, but uh, maybe more than one because some of these offenses are, are pretty legit and Oklahoma's mm-hmm. coming up real fast. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, if the ultimate goal is to get to the Big 12 title game, that's what you're playing to and you're developing guys to get to that point, which does not necessarily mean that you're firing on all soldiers as you approach the end of September. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. And, you know, if, if you're asking Noah Daniels to, to come back from an extended absence and Reggie Robertson is the first guy that he's got to line up against, as good as Noah Daniels is, that's, that's an extraordinary challenge for a guy yeah. coming off of an extended absence to try and, and lock down arguably, I'd say, a top 20 receiver in college football this year. Um, now, you know, Tanner Mordecai and SMU haven't really played anyone yet either. Uh, so we'll see 
how that offense But man, they put up. points on the board. They, yeah, they, they put points up on the board. This is a different SMU, and we'll get into this more next week in our in our SMU preview. This is a different SMU offense than we've seen uh, that's kind of started to grow and grow and grow under Sonny Dykes. Um, they are you know, a threat now, and that's something that TCU fans just have to realize, and it's something that TCU football has known for a couple of years now that they, they've suffered a loss in 2019. Duggan even mentioned it after California. He goes, these next two weeks getting ready for SMU, you know, that loss two years ago really hurt. We want to get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, so TCU players understand the significance of this game, understand that it's a rivalry game. And, and I think TCU fans, the, the sooner that maybe we all stop treating it like it's just a, a big brother, little brother, you know, mm-hmm. the fly in the ointment situation and understand that they could, they could really go on to ruin some things. Um, the better off we'll be because it's it almost feels like it's um not a fully but but kind of growing into like an inverse texas tcu situation where texas is kind of got this mentality of looking down on tcu all the time even though tcu has kicked their ass so often um <laughs> if we're not careful i think that uh, smu could could you know beat us two times in a row and and what would that do to tcu fans if, if smu actually came in and, and won this football game again this year yeah and, and I, I definitely think you have to take that as a serious potentially potential threat because I, I do think that they are that good. <laughs> I think they're good. I don't Especially, know about their defense. I don't know depth yeah, but of I wide receiver. You know, I I don't trust our offense if we had to get into a shootout with them. You know, this has become a score for a score. I, mm-hmm. I, I think the SMU is better positioned to win that type of battle. I mean, Reggie Roberson hasn't caught a touchdown yet, but Danny Gray has three. Sure. former TCU commit mm-hmm. <laughs> Danny Gray. So, uh, and there's just, that game just means so much, but I think you're right. I think we've, we've treated it too long. Like it doesn't matter. We started to believe it, but Sunny Dykes has turned that into a competitive football program. They're not, they shouldn't be better than TCU, but they're certainly capable of winning games on the road in Fort Worth. Yeah. And you know, they've shown that and TCU, uh, I think would be, uh, remiss if they didn't take this seriously. And I know the football team yeah. is taking it seriously. I'm, sure. I'm talking more to the fans at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, let's switch. Let's switch over. Though we've talked a little bit defensive line, a little bit of secondary. Um, this offensive line has looked <laughs> at times pretty good, and at other times awful. And it's early in the season; inconsistencies are, are expected a little bit. But we're returning every starter from 2020 except for left tackle and Obina easy. The transfer from Memphis has in my eyes been the clear strength along this offensive line. What have you seen from them so far and how do you feel about how this line has performed? I just, it feels almost weirdly like they don't have an identity Um, with, with an offensive line. I think you kind of need to know who you are. And I don't know if that we haven't gotten into a groove with play calling or if it's that they just aren't connected with max in the right way, but it just doesn't feel like they have a clear goal. Every snap of the football, um, they're not playing together as a unit, which is weird considering that pretty much all of them are returning starters. Um, even guys that, that didn't start or pretty much everyone that's played started significant games last year. Um, Easy's is like, I, I think I agree with you. It looks like an NFL prospect at left tackle. I think he's been really, really great. Um, but for, you know, we've seen Steve Avila be awesome and terrible uh, and nothing in between. Um, you know, I think John Lamb's graded out oddly enough is, is the best blocker and in, in last week's game uh and you know i'm gonna get i'm willing to give wes harris a little bit of a pass because he's coming back off the of injury too it may take him some time um it looks like a group that just hasn't gelled that hasn't come together um and is not playing as a unit and we all know with offensive line like that's the key is that you have to mm-hmm. play as five and one and so um i think that you can see just watching the game that the potential is much better than it was a year ago and i think we're seeing fewer penalties which is a great sign um mm-hmm. we knew we knew tj format was good for you know probably to a game it felt like a false start and a hold um but at the end of the day i still don't think that they've reached the level of expectation that i had going into the season but i have i have confidence that they're going to be playing much much better two weeks from now for sure um but there's a there's a lot of growth left to left to be done in that group yeah, and, and you know, I have uh, I have questions still as well um, <clears throat> about some execution uh, related issues. 
but don't don't do thing, it. Do not no, do not the thing say that, anything about how they're coached, Jamie, because no. we know who will be jumping into your DMs if you say Look, anything about the offensive line coach. I'm not saying anything about the <laughs> offensive line coach in this episode. I'm asking the question. You know, there were some struggles along the offensive line in the first couple possessions of the Cal game. TCU punted their first three possessions. Uh, and then at some point, both guards got rotated out. And we had Brandon Coleman and Coy McMillan come in for a series at guard. Um, and that was the series where three plays in a row, significant pressure got to Duggan. It ended up third and 15. And Duggan threw a pick six on a, I don't know why we called that passing play. Ohio State. So it reminded me of it, Sean it was, Robinson against just, Ohio State. Just really, really a strange sequence of events from TCU's offense there. And I think it started with replacing two, two-fifths of, of your offensive line, uh, putting, in, putting in, I don't know if it was just like their turn to rotate in. I didn't notice them both rotating in like that on a series at any point in the future, like down the road in that game. Um, I, they both made more plays in that game. They both showed up in that game. Um, but I don't remember them coming in uh, at the start of a series and that almost like a running back rotation, like this is their series to play snaps. Um, if that, uh, so I, just a couple puzzling things from the Cal game that I think are going to linger for me until I start to see this offensive line play a little bit better. Like you said, Wes Harris coming back from injury. Patterson even mentioned after the Cal game that they're just trying to get him to Saturdays right now, which means they're not practicing him every, him every day, which is smart because he's you know probably your best interior lineman, definitely your strongest interior lineman. Um, but it also has the, the con of that means that these guys aren't gelling during the week and so they're still maybe having to figure some things out on saturdays uh as well hopefully as he gets healthier that becomes less of an issue um but this offensive line while maybe slightly moderately improved over its 2020 version mostly because it will be an easy still isn't where it needs to be i think for this offense to to fully execute like we hope it will the last part of this offense not executing as we hope it will, has been the fact that it is year three for Max Duggan. And the accuracy, especially on the deep ball, is still pretty significantly missing right yeah. now. It's being nice. You know, it's it's tough because we love Max Duggan. And I think our good good old friend of Frog's War, Parker Fleming, at Stats of War, tweeted something I think that was pretty significant during the game on Saturday, and I'm not going to be able to find it now because he tweets like a thousand times a day. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to try really quick, really quickly to try and find something that he tweeted. And look at that. Simultaneously true things. Max Duggan isn't the best quarterback in the world. I think that's a fair thing to say. Max Duggan has clear strengths and clear weaknesses. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. TCU's offense works when they play to Max's strengths. TCU's offense doesn't work when they play to Max's weaknesses. I feel like that's the case for every single quarterback in the country. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, but I also think that there is a specific way that that is manifesting for TCU's offense right now. Max is really good at the 8 to 20 yard pass. Like that intermediate passing game to the sidelines He's working on it. Over the middle, he's great. Letting his wide receiver, just getting the ball in his wide receiver's hands, letting them make plays. Beyond that, he becomes incredibly inaccurate. And it feels like we're just consistently asking him to throw the deep ball when we know that that's not his strength. Yeah. I mean, I think those are all very accurate, very fair assertions. And that's the whole thing is that we watch Sonny Cumbie put square pegs in round holes for, you know, however many years after Doug Meacham left. And when Meach came back, we all thought, okay, finally someone who's going to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the offense and utilize those. Um, now to his credit, he kept Zach Evans in the ball game and kept giving him the damn ball. So like, mm-hmm. I'll give him points for that. But I just, I understand. I know you mentioned this earlier. I understand that you have to continue to look deep 
that you have to send guys deep, that you have to try to take the top off the defense, especially when the thing that's working for you is the running game because you know they're going to stack the box and try to slow down someone like Zach Evans. I get that. That's fine. That's great. Do that once every seven or eight plays. You know, send Darius Davis deep, send whoever deep. But when you have the type of talent that TCU has at the wide receiver position, and I've been super impressed with what I've seen from Quentin Johnston, obviously. I, I think Darius Davis has done some great things. I think Tay Barber, you still look to him in a tough spot. He can still get you yards. He can convert on third down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think J.D. Spielman is the type of guy that you do not need to throw the ball deep downfield to pick up huge chunks of yards. He's, he's just so uh, dynamic with the ball in his hand. I mean, they're, they're, Savion Williams, Blair Conright is back and looks outstanding. I mean, there are guys that can make things happen. And so instead of consistently trying to force the issue, when, I mean, guys were running wide open. It's not that guys weren't open, but if your quarterback can't hit them, it doesn't matter how wide open they are. So keep that in your arsenal, but but let's let's just try to pick up yard and move. Hey, Todd Parker, I feel like the ghost of Parker is going to start haunting me when I say this. you got to move the chains. You have to keep the offense moving forward, and especially when you have a running back like Zach Evans and you have a guy like Max Southern who can use his legs. Keep yourself in second and medium and third and short situations. Keep the defense honest by executing in the passing game. But at the end of the day, man, like Zach's your dude. Mm-hmm. Like, just put yourself in a situation where you can count on him in second and third down. Pass early, count on count on Zach second and third down. That's going to be the what the way the offense works. And and there's still a part of me that hopes that maybe we've just been kind of keeping things close to the vest here over these first couple of weeks so that we can let loose against SMU in Texas. But also now I've seen enough to know that like I think this is just we don't have we don't have a plan on offense that is going to put us in the best situation to, to get wins week in and week out, unless something changes. Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit frustrating right now. If there's some, if something clicks and Max starts hitting these deep balls, even I I counted six that he missed beyond 35 yards on Saturday. Yeah. Um, That's concerning. If he hits two of those, it's a totally different football game. Yeah. Right. Just like if Caesar makes one of those stops on those deep balls, it feels like a totally different football game on Saturday. That's, I think, how close this team can be to being yeah. a very good football team. It's a matter of growing up, using this bye week to your advantage, even though you've got a stretch now of 10 straight games once you come on the other side of this bye week. Um, use it. Get as good as you possibly can. Learn as much as you possibly can. Make your adjustments. And hopefully we see a slightly transformed TCU offense and defense against SMU. But but it's been three years of this is clearly not a strength for a quarterback. Sure. Is anything going to change in the next two weeks? Only if they start calling different plays. Uh, yeah. So like, and I agree. Like you said, like it's right there. It is right there. We have the wide receivers that mm-hmm. can get off the line and get down there. But <laughs> And I will say this too. I will say this too. Uh, a lot of people are pointing out, well, look at how wide open TCU's wide receivers were down the field. Yeah. The, Cal is giving them that. Mm-hmm. You know? Just like uh, when Matthew Downing was the quarterback to start against Iowa State last year, you go back and you watch that game, their deep safeties are eight, years, eight yards off the line of scrimmage. Yeah. They wanted him to try and throw that deep ball. Yeah. You know, guys get open sometimes because the defense says we're going to concede this to stop something else. Yeah. Um, the, and so if you see, Quentin the book Johnson, is out. if you see Quentin Johnson running 35, 40 yards downfield and he's beaten his beaten the, the guy in man coverage, you know, teams are willing to risk that as long as Max keeps missing those throws. Sure. And he's going to have to connect on them to get mm-hmm. them to change things. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the bye week to this point. Uh, you know, we think, I think we both see, see the cons to an early bye week, uh, being that you have to play 10 games in a row in what is a, a tough big 12 schedule. Um, but Melissa, do you think there are some, some pros as well to having a bye week this early in the season? Well, I think that we, we talked about it quite a bit earlier is that that we're seeing some very correctable issues, um, especially in the secondary. Um, we've got some 
critical guys that are banged up right now. And so mm-hmm. if we could have this bye week and then have another bye week a couple uh, a couple weeks away, you know, like somewhere in late October, early November, I'd actually feel great about this. But the fact that there's only one bye week right now is what has me um, a little bit concerned. For sure, for sure. I think that uh, if there was maybe another break down the way when – you know, there's a Thanksgiving Day game or a game right after Thanksgiving on maybe that Friday. If we, if TCU had that Saturday off before or something like that with a couple games left in the schedule, one more opportunity just to take a breath, maybe get some guys back from injury if that's something that you're struggling with at that point in the season, uh, you know, then that's really um, would be of a huge benefit to TCU. But with with the way that the schedule is, is built out this year with this bye week super early, I really tend to think that there are, even though you've got young guys who are growing up and an opportunity to maybe tweak the offense a little bit and all of these other things, especially coming into two big games, SMU and Texas, like I think the bye week lines up really well in that regard. When you're coming down the stretch and you've still got to play Baylor and Kansas State and Iowa State in November and you haven't had a break in two and a half months, I think that we might see the repercussions of that down the road. And so I'm, I'm not a fan of the early bye week even if there are a, a couple maybe significant pros. Um, it just I feel like it every year sets TCU up to just be worn out and to wear out down the stretch and to run out of steam. Absolutely. And let's give JB credit for totally understanding that I needed him to vamp for me for a minute there while I took I got care. You. So it just, it, it's just a, the years and years of doing this together. I got you. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that I think the negatives outweigh the positives for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, like, this is how it plays out. And, you know, the one thing that we saw kind of last year, because it was the same situation too, is that if this team can get rolling, sometimes it's good to just keep rolling. Yep. Um, and so if that defense especially gets on a tear, then we might we might be okay with just go, go, go mm-hmm. through the end of the season. Yeah, because defense will travel and defense is sustainable. Um, offense, totally different question. Well, so let's take mm-hmm. a quick break and then we'll come back. We will talk about... Um, the rumor about TCU almost getting an invite to the Pac-12, and then we're going to get into the Big 12 games of the week. All right, we're back after our advertisement. Thank you to whoever was talking in that break. I appreciate you. So much. So much. Um, That was, you know, that's great. Um, So let's go ahead and get into it here. Um, I'll edit this part out. Let's go ahead and get into <laughs> Pac-12 rumors. Mac Engel, Fort Worth Star-Telegram, everyone's beloved Mac Engel, uh, talked about uh, the that there was a rumor, essentially, he's reporting that TCU and Houston were this close to getting an invite to the Pac-12. Um and that the not at this time language that the Pac-12 was using as far as expansion goes doesn't rule out a potential future invitation for those two schools specifically and maybe some other schools as well. Melissa, you wrote a little bit about this for our website. What's going on here and do you see this as something that could actually happen in the near future? Okay, first of all, I'm going to give you some breaking news here. Okay. I kind of like Mac. I like Mac too. I like Mac a lot. And I know Clam Jean, I know all these things, and I know we're supposed to put out a warning. Um, Listen, he was born, he is the like, the Fort Worth version of uh, Skip Bayless, right? Like he's TCU Skip Bayless. Like he is saying, he's poking the bear just to see how the bear reacts. And y'all are a bunch of bears and you react. And that's why he keeps getting paid money to poke the bear. Um, and I used, he used to drive me absolutely nuts until I talked to him in person. And I was like, oh, I kind of like this dude. Mm-hmm. He's, he's kind of funny. Um, and so um, I think that, listen, the one thing I will say, he doesn't just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Like if he is reporting this, it's because he has a pretty good reason to. Um, I still think it's a possibility. I, I think that, that George Klykoff, I've learned to say his name, I've worked really hard on it, is a really smart guy. I think he's a, he's a, he's a financial guy. Um, I think he understands the landscape of college football at this time and realizes that standing pat is probably not a long-term solution for the Pac-12, especially when you know that the next program that they're going to target is USC. And if USC leaves the Pac, much like Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12, 
then all bets are off. And mm -hmm. so it would make sense to try to solidify the conference um, to go into the major markets of Texas. Houston is an interesting choice, but I think we all understand why that would be the choice for, for multitude of reasons, mostly because it's Houston. It's a gigantic market. Um, and TCU maybe doesn't carry the weight right now with, you know, kind of a bunch of 500 seasons, but ultimately is a, a good school that offers a lot of great athletic programs that holds its own weight academically enough that has a medical school um, and that is located in a region of the country that adds a lot of value to the Pac-12 overall. So um, I don't think that we're done yet. I think that the reason the Big 12 is continuing to look at expansion is that they could still see this um, not being the end of things here. Um, and it would not shock me at all if by 2024, multiple programs have been invited to the Pac-12. And I still believe that if that is the case, that TC would be on that list. And I'd be so happy. Everyone knows that. Like, I'd be so happy. So, I mean, your, your team playing near your hometown, that's everybody's dream, right? And so right? Yeah. Uh, that would definitely be a cool thing for you to, to see the Frogs go to the Pac-12. I, I, I found myself, and I don't know if this is because of the way I reacted to Texas and Oklahoma leaving uh, and now the Big 12 is expanding, and if TCU left now, would it feel similar? I don't know. I, doing some emotional processing. Uh, we've spent the last month talking about how this new Big 12 conference is probably as competitive, if not a little yeah. bit more competitive on the field than the Pac-12. Um, we've done the comparisons from like a team brand's perspective, uh, you know, markets all that kind of whatever we've talked about all that if you guys want to go back and listen to past episodes of the podcast i think i would be a little disappointed at this point because I, i'm i'm not convinced of the long-term viability of this new big 12 yet i don't mm -hmm. know that it's a lasting conference as it stands um, and so from that perspective, I would be glad to move to a more stable and secure conference. How much more stable the Pac-12 is than this new Big 12, I, I don't know. And so I'm just, I'm a little concerned from that regard. I will say that it feels like the Pac-12 is being far more proactive than the Big 12 was three mm -hmm. years ago mm -hmm. when the Big 12 was in the situation that the Pac-12 finds itself in now. There's a possibility of your best teams being poached. What are you going to do? to prevent that at all costs. The Big 12 said, we're good. And that was mostly because of Texas saying, we don't want Houston. Mm -hmm. We don't want to share the revenue anymore. You know, we don't want BYU. We don't want Central Florida. We don't want Cincinnati. We don't want these schools in here. They don't do anything for us. They don't do anything for me, Texas. Uh, it seems like USC is not taking that that style of stance right now, at least publicly. Texas was pretty publicly anti-expansion for the last four or five years, um, which makes me think that maybe USC is content with expanding, seeing how a new conference would look and, and feel, seeing what the new TV contracts might look like uh, before making any final decision. Do I think that ultimately the Big 12 dissolves, the Pac-12 dissolves, college football dissolves as we know it, and some sort of Super League is formed? Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's anything we can do to prevent that. But I think that if you know TCU is weighing its options, right now it feels okay to stay in the Big 12. Um, but in a year or two, if that invitation actually comes, who knows how different the landscape will be at that well, point. Well, I, I think if the invitation comes, TCU goes. I think so too. I have zero now. And, and, and let me say this too. Like I'm excited about the new big 12. I, I think it, it's going to be a really fun football conference amongst other sports. Um, I think that the teams add great value. I think that you get some, some fun destinations. Um, you're going to build some nice rivalries, obviously super pumped up mm -hmm. BYU rivalry returning, but at the end of the day, um, because you can't predict the future and just listen, like we look at the strength of the big 12 without a blue blood and realize Life is a lot different without a blue blood. And if you go to the Pac-12, you have some old money blue bloods, and then you have some new up-and-comers like Washington and Oregon um, who definitely have national brands who have made you know college football playoffs, who have the type of resources that make them an elite program year in and year out at Washington's, which I'll talk about right now because they've started off terribly. But 
um, at the end of the day, if you can bring that type of stability, um, you take it. And for TCU specifically, where I, I believe the number is like 35% of their undergrad enrollment now comes from the West Coast. It makes a ton of sense for your brand, not just from a football perspective, but from an overall university perspective to reach more of the people in the place where you've had so much success bringing in high level students across the board. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree. Um, we'll see. We'll see yeah, how it we'll all see. turns out, right? Like this is this is all shifting. Landscape. Thanks for making us talk about this again, Mac. Jeez. Yeah, appreciate you, man. <laughs> um, here's my question, though, because I, I've already kind of given my answer to this. How viable are BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and Central Florida as long-term solutions for the Big Twelve? I think if they continue their upward trajectory on the field and in recruiting, and you put and, they, and the Big Twelve remains a Power Five autonomy conference with a seat at the table, um, especially with a playoff expansion, I think that there's absolutely no reason that they can't take the same trajectory that we've seen schools like TCU and Utah. And I mean, I guess those are really the two that we look at. West Virginia has had some great moments, but um, TCU and Utah who have, who have played for conference championships and who, um, you know, have had some down years, obviously, especially TCU, but for the most part have looked like they aren't outmatched in the power five uh, Cincinnati for sure. UCF has no excuse not to. Mm-hmm. Um, and at Houston is probably the one I have the biggest question marks about, but BYU has been pretty good program for most of the last 20 years and has had national championships or national championship caliber teams. And Cincinnati, I think if you get to the big 12, maybe Luke Fickle stays. Mm -hmm. And now you're looking at, um, you know, I think why can't they be Iowa state, you know, like, I think that's what you're looking at there. So, and they're the, really the only other competitor with Ohio state in the entire state of Ohio, which produces a ton of um, high caliber football talent. So yeah, no, I think, said i'm not worried about the on the field stuff whatsoever i think it's gonna be a blast it's just the perception from outside is going to be weak because of the lack of a blue blood power and national championship caliber teams and we kind of all thought maybe iowa state would take the leap this year and they still might in conference but they had their moment and they didn't deliver and so that just kind of reflects poorly i think long term on the conference as a whole yeah i I think so too you know we talked about it monday night on our new this is a, a a you know promo worlds colliding uh our new kind of big 12 roundup we did with levi stevenson over at wide right natty light and shahan jarajan uh the cbs newest national college college football writer shahan great friend of the show great friend of the website great friend just in general um shout out to him well dressed man well dressed man best dressed guy in, in college football media for sure um iowa state's loss does more harm to the big 12 i think than it does to iowa state's own reputation yeah because i i mean and shahan i think is the one that made this point on the show we did monday uh i would jump to number five for beating iowa state yeah right like that shows that the pollsters have respect for iowa state from a from a conference strength perspective well okay now your number two school lost to iowa and how that bears out down the road is yet to be seen, but that's a blemish already. Um, yeah. And we haven't even reached conference play yet. Which is, yeah, no, which it's, is it's a concern. It is it's a concern. A concern. Um, let's go ahead and get into making picks for this upcoming week of games. There's a really interesting Big 12 slate this week, and then I've got a couple non-conference games for us to pick as well. Let's start, though, with West Virginia hosting number 15, Virginia Tech. West Virginia, what a mess! I have no, I have no idea what that what that program is right now. Um, I think Virginia Tech is going to roll. Good for Justin Fuente. He's got that team playing really, really well. Um, and it's is it is it in Morgantown or is it in, it's in Morgantown? It's in Morgantown. Okay, so that helps. Um, I just I don't think Jared Daigie's a good quarterback. I don't think the offense is very good. I think the defense is is good, but not good enough to make up for um, what what a messy offense is. So give me uh, give me the Hokies. Smoking musket. I think it was Smoking Musket tweeted earlier this week asking if they're beating Virginia Tech with five minutes left in the game by 10 points, should they ironically play Enter Sandman? <laughs> yes, 100%. Absolutely, you should, but that's not 100%. going, that's not going yeah, to be not a situation you'll find yourself in. All of these West Virginia fans, West Virginia fans are about to spend so much money on home field apparel, and then they're going to get to that stadium on Saturday, and Virginia Tech's going to roll by, I think, like 
more than two touchdowns. Okay. But at least they get to spend money on home field apparel, which we will get to do soon, soon. according to Jeremiah Donati, Donati and other soon. sources. Soon. Yeah. Other sources. Nameless sources. You love nameless sources. Moving I on. Number three, people. Oklahoma hosting Nebraska at 11 a.m. This just makes me laugh that they're trying to, like, this is, like, this, I'm going to age myself here, but this is so, like, quit trying to make fetch happen. Quit trying to make this rivalry matter. Nebraska is garbage. They're going to get beat by 60 points. Like, I understand that at one time it was a very important thing. This is no longer that time. This is not going to be an entertaining or enjoyable football game. This is not going to be an Arkansas-Texas situation. Mm-hmm. Period. End of sentence. No, it's not. Nebraska's terrible. Oklahoma is really good. Uh, and I think Oklahoma wins. I, I put it in my predictions post earlier today. I think I said like 45 to 10 or something. Feels like generous. That, which I think it could even be worse than that if, if you're a Nebraska fan. Uh, next up, Kansas State hosts Nevada. 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 2-0. Wild, wild Pack. Wolf Pack. Whoever they are. And, um, you know, this is a Nevada team that beat Cal to start the year. They look like they've got a pretty solid defense. Kansas State is now without Skylar Thompson. Um, Does Kansas State lose this game? Yes. Kansas State's going to be the most confusing team of the first month of the season. um, And that they're going to beat roll a Stanford team that rolled USC at USC and then is going to lose to, I mean, a pretty good Nevada team. Um, they've got, they've got a, a, a NFL caliber quarterback. I, I think it's going to be close because that Kansas State defense will show up, but Will Howard's just not good. And mm-hmm. that is going to be uh, the detriment. So I, I think the, I think the Wolf Pack hangs on and gets the power five dub again. Uh, I still have Kansas state in this game just because I really like Deuce Vaughn. Yeah. But I think He's it's going to be like, 17 to 14. Yeah. Something really I, it's going to be like ugly. That. It's not going to be a fun yeah. football game to watch for sure. Uh, first big 12 game of the season conference matchup, Kansas uh, hosts. Wait, is Kansas hosting Baylor or is Baylor hosting Kansas? I think, I think Baylor Baylor's is hosting Kansas. hosting Kansas. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Baylor wins. I think that, um, that we've liked, like Shaham was saying Monday night, we've liked what we've seen. Although the competition level hasn't proven us proven anything mm-hmm. um kansas has been really feisty they just don't have the talent um and that's really what it comes down to i think lance leopold's done a good job there but they're just not going to win a lot of games this year um so i think baylor by you know probably 17 plus points yeah i think baylor beats kansas worse than coastal carolina beat kansas yeah i i'm not the biggest jerry bohannon fan i don't think he's bad I think the way that this schedule sets up for him as a first-year starter works perfectly for Baylor. You know, three warm-up games and you play Iowa State. Yeah. Um, and there's your test, right, to see your stretch game, if, if we're using Gary Patterson language here, to see really where you where you stack up. Sure. Um, I, yeah, I think Baylor wins this game handily. Texas Tech hosts Florida International after a scare from SFA. Um, this is another opportunity for Texas Tech and Sonny Cumbie to finally show that this is an offense worth watching. Uh, Texas Tech is is feeling like they're kind of in shambles right now. I'm not sure um, how good they're going to be in conference play, but I think that uh, you know Florida International being one and one and being just generally not very good at football, even though you know the struggles with SFA. Uh, you know, playing uh, who are, I can't even remember who Tech played in week one, but playing them close as well. Houston. Um, Houston, uh, you know, struggling with Houston for three quarters and then not ever being able to pull away from SFA. I wouldn't be surprised if this was terribly close, but I'm still going with Texas Tech. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think the Red Raiders are just, just talented enough on offense to win some games like this. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Rice has the pleasure of playing Texas this week after Texas's embarrassing loss to Arkansas. Um on the Longhorn Network, so it's like a, if a tree falls in a forest situation. Yeah. But how badly does Texas destroy Rice this weekend? Oh, they're gonna they're gonna absolutely clobber Rice. They're gonna get everyone excited about Texas again, and then people are gonna be like, "Oh, maybe maybe that was just an off week. Texas is back." So yeah, yeah no, I, I think Texas. But yeah. it's, it's gonna be really Casey Thompson. Like that's what I want to see against mm-hmm. against Rice is, is what does Casey Thompson do? He he loses the job in camp. He he beats or he takes over for Hudson Card. What does Steve Sarkeesian do with his two quarterback situation? Who gets to start? who plays better and who starts gearing up to be the guy when big 12 play starts the week after. 
there's going to be an overreach reaction to this weekend's win mm -hmm. for Texas. For sure. And it's going to be, is Casey Thompson a dark horse Heisman oh, candidate? Yeah. yeah. Alongside John Robinson. And it's, and it's probably going to come from Burn Orange Nation. All right. Yep. Next up, Oklahoma State travels to Idaho to play Boise State. Ohio or Oklahoma State has not looked good. Boise State lost a close game to BYU and then absolutely hammered what could be a decent UTEP team. I'm not sure yet. Um, how do you see this game playing out? I just have no idea who Oklahoma State is this year. Um, Boise is so tough at home. They mm -hmm. they got they got it handed to them um, in the first uh, first game of the season against um, uh, uh, UCF. But UCF looks like they're going to be a good team. So yeah. I think this is this is kind of my upset special. I don't know what the line is, but I think Boise State is going to squeak out a close one here because the Oklahoma State offense just looks so dang inept. I picked. Boise State in my predictions post earlier on Wednesday. Uh, I'm sticking with that pick. I think that if this game was in Stillwater versus in Boise, it mm -hmm. would be different. Agreed. But home field advantage Agreed. plays out in what I think is going to be a close game. Yeah. Uh, and lastly on the slate uh, for the Big 12, we're actually just going to stick with Big 12 picks right now. Um, Iowa State, number 14, after their loss to Iowa, travels to Las Vegas to play UNLV in a bench Justin Rogers. Listen, the only thing you need to know about this game is a bunch of Iowa State fans in Las Vegas. The action in the stands will be far more entertaining than the action on the field. The Cyclones will should roll a very, very bad UNLV team. Um, but like I said, you're just you're dropping probably 20,000 Iowa State fans in Sin City, and it's going to be a sight, to my, say the least. My biggest concern for Iowa State this weekend is I'm not is sure. Levi? No, I'm just not <laughs> sure how many bars in Vegas actually carry Bush Light. Yeah, it's, it's fair. That's a fair concern. Um, yeah, Iowa State's going to win this going away. Uh, I have no doubt about that. Uh, that's going to do it for us on this episode of the Frogs War Podcast. Thank you for hanging out and giving us a listen. If you could, be so kind as to give us a comment and a review wherever you consume your podcasts, uh, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else. Um, don't forget to check us out on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and YouTube, and of course on frogswar.com where our insanely good staff is writing incredible content every single day. Come join in the conversation, be a part of the, of the squad over at thefrogswar.com, uh, and thanks again for listening. I'm Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Treebosser. Go Frogs. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.